0: Yeah, I know the name, but no, I can't
1: tell you what she did. No. A singer?
0: I don't think so. No.
1: (laughs) I have no idea. No, should I know who she is?
0: (laughs) It's
2: somebody significant, isn't it?
1: Was she the one who did the voting?
2: Women's rights activist, leader, political mover, shaker. One of the women who fought
3: for the persons case in Manitoba, the right, uh, so for women to be recognized as persons um, and have the right to vote. Of course I know who Nellie McClung was.
0: Kick-ass feminist. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Today we'll learn more about her and an important centennial.
0: Getting the vote for women.
2: I'm Robert Zirk. This is River City 360.
4: Welcome to River City 360,
2: views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, it's part one of our 2016 Year in Review. We'll take a look back at just a few of the great stories we had the opportunity to bring you this past year, including our tour of the Manitoba Museum's Nice Women Don't Want the Vote exhibit. We'll also hear
4: from author David Alexander Robertson about his book, The Evolution of Alice, which was 2016's On the Same Page selection.
2: And we'll take a look back at the inaugural Fast Pitch and our conversation with the grand prize winner, Hope McIntyre, the artistic director of Sarasvati Productions.
4: We've got all this, some great holiday tunes, and much, much more on today's special episode of River City 360.
2: Good morning and welcome to River City 360. Robert N. Nolan here with you this morning. And as it is December 25th, we want to wish all of our listeners a very Merry Christmas, a very happy Hanukkah, and a very happy holiday season. Every year around this time, we like to revisit some of the highlights of this past year. So this week and next, we'll have our 2016 year in review. Now, Nolan, there were so many stories to choose from, and even now that we're up to an hour, because last year we only had a half-hour program, but uh, now that we have an hour, we still aren't able to include all the stories we'd like to, but just as a reminder that you can always listen to any or all of our past episodes online at RiverCity360.org or by subscribing to the River City 360 podcast, which will keep you up to speed on all of our new episodes in 2017 as well. Yeah,
4: it was, uh, I mean, but that being said, having an hour means we've had 50 episodes of an hour long of content to choose from. So, you know, we have that many more uh, interviews to choose from and it's been such a great year. I'm really happy that we're able to share... Our favorite stories uh, from the past 50 episodes, and we hope that you enjoy listening to them as well because uh, it was a lot of fun and we learned a lot and hopefully we shined a light on a lot of great people doing great work here in Winnipeg. Absolutely. Coming up after the break, we are going to take you back on a tour of the Manitoba Museum's Nice Women Don't Want the Vote exhibit. Uh, it ran earlier this year, and uh, it's going to be touring Canada throughout 2017. It was a very interesting exhibit, and we got to walk through with a personal tour of the exhibit. So before we get to that, uh, we're going to start the show off seeing as it is Christmas with some holiday cheer. Here's Dean Martin with Winter Wonderland right here on River City 360.
5: Wonderland.
6: Clay bells ring are you listening in the lane snows glistening a beautiful sight oh we're happy tonight walking in a winter land. gone away is a bluebird here to stay is a new bird he's singing a song as we go along walking in a winter Well, in the meadow we can build a snowman And pretend that he is possible Brown. He'll say, are you married? We'll say, no man But you can do the job when you're in town Later on, we'll conspire As we dream by the fire To face unafraid of the plans that we made Walking in the winter wonderland
5: Fun with Mr.
6: Until the other kiddies knock him down Oh, when it snows Ain't it thrilling Though your nose Gets chilling We'll frolic and play The Eskimo way walking in
4: Welcome back to River City 360, Nolan and Robert here with you this morning. As I mentioned before the break, we toured the Nice Women Don't Want the Vote exhibit at the Manitoba Museum earlier this year, uh, which was in commemoration of the 100th anniversary of some women, not all, receiving the right to vote in Manitoba. Uh, We walked through the exhibit with curator of history, Roland Sawatsky, and he told us all about the artifacts and their historical significance, as well as some context about how
2: Manitoba fit into the suffragist movement all across Canada. As we walked through the exhibit, we were met with pictures of women from all over Manitoba and beyond. Some very candid photos that gave us a glimpse into what their lives were like over 100 years ago and who was involved in this pivotal time in Canadian history.
7: These are all just everyday women. Uh, We don't know the, the extent of their involvement in the movement. Some of them would have been, some of them wouldn't have been. Some of them probably didn't care, and some of them were perhaps anti-suffragists themselves. But it affected these women. Whatever was happening in that decade, that affected these women.
2: Nellie McClung's name appeared multiple times on our tour. She was a prolific writer and leader of the suffragist movement, and Roland told us how important she was to the movement
7: and to the exhibit. She wrote 16 books. She was quite prolific. And this is a book she wrote in 1915 in times like these, where she talks specifically about... um, equal rights for women
4: is it satire it says it's humorously written It is
7: humorously written she was a humorous person okay. and and that was one of the strengths of the movement is um, they used logic and they used humor and satire is part of that of course um, whereas in England there was a very militant side um, of the of the suffragette movement and so there was a lot of conflict and there was some violence but here in Manitoba they decided to go in the opposite direction and use wit um, and and the strength of their arguments. Um, to to win the vote. And and that worked.
2: On the tour of the Nice Women Don't Want the Vote exhibit, we also learned about how even though women received the right to vote 100 years ago, Indigenous people weren't able to vote until many years later. Roland really gave us some historical context on the difference.
7: One of the reasons was with the treaties, um, you could, if you were an Indigenous person, you could vote technically, but if you voted, that means you gave up all your treaty rights, which... It seems crazy, right? Because those treaties were uh, symbolically and economically very, very important. They were very meaningful things to these folks. So to give that up, to vote for someone who probably didn't have your best interests in mind anyways, would have been absurd. It just would have been an illogical thing to do. So that's one of the things we get into in this exhibit as well.
2: One part of the exhibit that really stood out for us was a giant painted wood wall siding, which read in big white painted letters, No Vote for Women. And that had a very interesting origin story as well.
7: Originally, it was painted uh, Vote for Women uh, by a woman who lived uh, just north of Portage La Prairie. And um, the story goes uh, that when her husband came home, he painted No in front of it. Uh, so, you can imagine the kinds of discussions that were happening, uh, and that's one of the reasons it's a great artifact, is that it gets the, all the tension of the movement in one nice, big artifact here, and it's quite striking.
2: Now, we weren't the only people taking a tour at the Manitoba Museum. There was a group of children that came through, and evidently the museum does daily tours for schools and a customized program for children
7: to learn about the exhibit. Certainly, our school programs, uh, folks have, have done a great job in putting the program together. I've, listened to it a few times, and um, really, really engaging. Uh, and students students are responding well, so we're, we're very happy about
2: that. Coming up after the break, we'll speak with Anya Moody-Foster, Museum Program Developer at the Manitoba Museum, and she'll tell us how the exhibit has affected the youth of today. <music>
1: And I'm a museum program developer here, so um, I have the privilege of uh, taking these exhibits and uh, turning them into school programs, and and helping find ways to connect with uh, students of different ages. Uh, so you.
4: So you work with uh, other schools and sort of help them in maybe preparing them for their museum visit, or how does that work?
1: Yes, well, actually, that's been one of the wonderful things about this project is we actually were able to hire a consultant to prepare a teacher's guide for us with post-visit and pre-visit activities um, so the students can extend their learning. Uh, what I do is mainly uh, figure out what we're going to do with the students when they come here uh, to see the exhibit itself.
4: And have you dealt? Have you have you seen sort of the reactions firsthand of kids co- coming through here, and, and what are they?
1: It's very interesting because it hits the curriculum in grade six, in grade nine, in grade eleven, and students of those ages are all in very different places. Um, the the quote that sticks out to most of them is the you no, know, uh, women, lunatics, uh, uh, idiots, and criminals may vote, and uh, you know especially grade sixes have a very um, black and white sense of fairness, and uh, so when I asked a group uh, just this week, you know what they thought of it, a boy's hand. And shot up immediately. He said, that is offensive. And I'm like, it is, my friend. Uh, you know, they have a very, um, you know, they can't quite believe it. Um, and then when you get into the the high school students, you know, they're they're having a more sophisticated understanding of the world. And, you know, we get into some of the, the contradictions of the movement, um, how, you know, not all these women agreed on things, um, how some women were excluded, um, how um, uh, there were issues that divided women as well as um, uh, brought them together. And also they've just... Uh, you know have a more sophisticated understanding of you know the challenges that uh, women and uh, you know people fighting for their rights face today what
4: has been your personal sort of connection what 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 have you taken away from this that you maybe learned or didn't know
5: before
1: i think one of the things that it sort of occurred to me recently is just the power of governments to influence people's lives and that maybe we don't appreciate that you know we uh, you know in this era where we have human rights and we think that the law protects us well if you look back in the past it hasn't protected people and it has excluded people and it has uh, you know for First Nations they were not allowed to vote and the government was systematically intervening in their lives so who we have in government and what we allow them to do um, ha- can have tremendous impacts on people and it's all of our responsibilities to um, participate in the in the political process and hopefully students will come uh, and do that yeah
4: when you see a kid go through this and, and they learn about it, do they talk about sort of politics and the effect that they can have at all?
1: Absolutely. And, and you, you see that um, one of the things that the challenges of, that these women faced in their movement was, you know, they didn't have the kind of communications that uh, we have today. And so students are interested in causes and interested in uh, finding out about issues and have a sense that they need to be active in uh, forming their society. And
4: they can make a difference. If, if these women can do it, then for sure anyone Else can too.
1: Absolutely. One of the points we really try to bring across is that, you know, this didn't just happen in 1916. Um, It, you know, was a movement that led up to it and that it wasn't the end of the struggle. Many people were excluded. Women in Quebec didn't get it until 1940, the vote. Aboriginal people didn't fully have access to the vote until 1960. Um, And so we're still on that journey. And that's what I really hope that the students will get across that they are part of this journey and the journey is continuing and they need to take up the mantle of uh, taking us to a, a more just society.
4: Even nowadays, there's some countries that are going through what we went through 100 years ago.
1: Absolutely. Saudi Arabia, just last month, women voting for the first time. Um, and, and I mean, people voting just fairly recently there as well. So, you know, our system that is... is not the only system that's the thing like uh, aboriginal women were left out of the vote but they you know were strong people in their community they had traditions Um, so we can't forget about that as well. Um, These women who came they sort of formed a new society here but there were other societies here that had traditions and that women played a strong role and uh, uh, that's one of the things that you know is the responses we get from people is, is how can we empower indigenous women to make changes in our society
2: and if you'd like to learn more you can visit the exhibitions page at manitobamuseum.ca you can also tune into episode three of our second season of the river city 360 podcast where you can also hear our interview with the Nellie mcclung foundation board chair lila goodspeed and you can find that at rivercity360.org
4: Coming up after the break, we're going to revisit our conversation with author David Alexander Robertson about his book, The Evolution of Alice, which was the 2016 selection for On the Same Page. Uh, but first, here's Nat King Cole with Deck the Halls right here on River City 360.
6: Deck the halls with boughs of holly, fa la 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 Tis the season to be jolly, fa la 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 la. Gone we now our gay apparel, fa la 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 la. Told the ancient Yuletide carol, fa la 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 la. blazing you'll be for us strike the harp and join the chorus follow me in merry measure while i tell of thy treasure
2: Welcome back to River City 360. My name is Robert Zirk. I'm here with my co-host, Nolan Bicknell, and we're joined now by author David Alexander Robertson. He was awarded the John Hirsch Award for Most Promising Manitoba Writer at the 2015 Manitoba Book Awards, and his book, The Evolution of Alice, is the -the on-the-same-page selection for 2016. David, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Without giving anything too much away plot-wise, could you tell our listeners, what is The Evolution of Alice about?
8: A couple years ago... I was doing work on a reserve in Manitoba. I won't mention the reserve because it was inspired by uh, a tragedy that occurred there. And that really struck me, uh, not only just as a human being, but um, you know, as, as having children myself, uh, young children. Uh, and, and I never really was able to wrap my head around what that would look like for the family. Uh, and not only the family, but the community as well, because in a lot of our Indigenous communities, um, they're so close. And the communities are so uh, intricately wound together that... When one person uh, experiences a loss, the whole community experiences that loss. And so I wanted to process um, that loss so I could kind of try and understand um, what, what that would look like. What, what does that grief look like for somebody and, and how would they deal with it in, uh, through the course of their life? And it, it started off as me just writing one short story called The Evolution of Alice. And it was just about this young woman, a mother of three, and her youngest daughter is murdered uh, by somebody who was never caught. And, and so she has to deal with that loss, and her family has to deal with that loss. And so the story is about how, how that loss occurs and the effect it has on her and her daughters uh, and, and her close you know, family friend Gideon. And the story stuck with me so much that I decided I wanted to expand on it. The question really is, can she overcome it? And if she can't, then how do they move on? And how do they uh, maybe accept that loss and live without her in that pain so in a, in a, it's a, it sounds morbid, but I think there's some hope in how they come together as a family and as a community uh, in, in dealing with that, that unthinkable real tragedy.
2: What was your uh, reaction to the Evolution of Alice being included in the shortlist and eventually being selected for on the same page this year?
8: I was thrilled. I was surprised too, I guess. I was really excited. I had no thought that I might win at all because I was up, I was up against some really heavy competition in um, uh, Miriam Taves, in All My Puny Sores, which is probably my favorite book last year that I read, in Thompson Highway's F- Kiss of the Fur Queen, in M- Maurice Moreau's uh, adoption uh, memoir, Detachment. And so I read all of them because we're all, in a, we're all kind of a community. And so I, when I guess when I found out I won, I was, I was pretty surprised. Uh, I remember my publisher called me and I was, I was on a run and I kind of stopped running and, I, and I, was, uh, I took a moment to think, wow, like, I can't believe that I won that. That's pretty cool because I, I, I mean, I respect those other writers so much. And I never really expected to be able to win that competition, so it was it was pretty cool, and I was uh, I was really thrilled and honored to to win it. What do you hope that people will take away from
2: reading The Evolution of Alice?
8: You know, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just it's great to read a good book uh, sometimes, and hopefully they they enjoy reading it. Hopefully it makes them think because although it is a, a fiction novel, that I hope is a good experience to read. Um, we I do tackle some issues in there that are, that are important to me. Trying to dispel some of the myths of living on reserve and what that looks like, um, and some of the difficulties of of living in a big city when you're when you're indigenous and coming from a small community, and and the perceptions that we face um, from people who may not know what our background is or what our histories are, and uh, and and I guess like the whole concept of trying to understand each other and the positives that come from that of of getting to know each other. It's a very simple concept, but um, when we do that, I think we're going to be in a pretty good place together. And of course, um, you know, dealing with loss and, and coming together as a family.
2: And on the same page is such a unique venue to create a dialogue about all those themes and issues.
8: Yeah, I mean, starting that dialogue, uh, you know, literature is a good way to do that. Whether it's through novels or graphic novels, um, uh, if we get great books out there that make us think and talk, I mean, that's that, that's really important. I think that's one of the avenues through which we... We find such, uh, positive change happening. So, if doll can do that, that's great. But at the very least, hopefully, the
2: people enjoy reading it. Where can people go to learn more about your work and some of the uh, upcoming events that you're a part of? I think they can uh, check out the Winnipeg Public
8: Library's website. This I have a on fi- the
2: same page.ca. Yeah, I think
8: something like that. Go by McNally Robinson's, all, uh, all my books are there. Uh, you could check out my website. It's just uh, darobertson.ca. Or I have a Facebook page, at Dave Alexander Robertson, and I post
2: the events there as well. Excellent. Dave, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. On the Same Page has wrapped up after a great eight-year run, but you can still learn more about the evolution of Alice or any of the past selections by visiting onthesamepage.ca. Coming up after the break, we will take a look back at the Winnipeg Foundation's Fast Pitch, which debuted in 2016. It was a chance for our local charitable sector to connect with volunteer coaches from the business and professional communities here in the city and develop a pitch for their organization in three minutes or less. The organization winning the grand prize this year was Sarasvati Productions, and we'll have our conversation with presenter and artistic director Hope McIntyre after the break. But before we get to that, by request, here's the Royal Guardsman with Snoopy's Christmas right here on River City 360.
9: The news had come out in the First World War. The bloody Red Baron was flying once more. The Allied Command ignored all of its men and called on Snoopy to do it again. Was the night before Christmas, 40 below, when Snoopy went up. Search of his foe, spied the red baron, fiercely they fought. With ice on his wings, Snoopy knew it was caught. Christmas bells, those Christmas bells, rang. Pull it up tight, why he didn't shoot, well, we'll never know, or was it the bells from the village below? This was the end when the Baron cried out, Merry
5: Christmas, my friend.
9: The Baron then offered a holiday toast, and Snoopy, our hero, saluted his host. And then with a roar, they were both on their way, each knowing they'd meet on some other day. Christmas bells, those Christmas bells.
4: Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning. And we are now joined in studio by a very special guest. She is the winner of the Fast Pitch Winnipeg inaugural event. Hope McIntyre, Artistic Director of Sarasvati Productions. Hope, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So we wanted to have you on the show because you are a champion. You are (laughs) the winner of Fast Pitch, as we mentioned. And we just wanted to talk to you about who you are, what you do, and what Sarasvati Productions uh, is and does. So maybe give our listeners the fast pitch of What is Sarasvati Productions?
0: Sarah's body is transformative theater. So our goal is to use theater to create social change. We work with community groups to address issues that are important and relevant and build plays around stories that aren't often told and then take those plays to audiences so that they can see the world through someone else's eyes and hopefully learn and create a dialogue that uh, transforms the community at large.
4: I think part of what resonated with me uh, during your fast pitch was really connecting the ability to sort of help people grow and make social change through the arts because you don't normally put those two together. So how give, give me a real world example of how you do that exactly.
0: Absolutely. Well, right now we're working on our mental health project. So for the last year and a half, we've been doing interviews. Uh, we've created forums like theater-based workshops for people who, to come and share their stories, learn them some theater skills, but also tell their experiences around mental health. And we've worked with Selkirk Mental Health Center going out there to do interviews. And then our artists compile all these amazing stories and experiences into a script. And we take that script back to the community for readings, so that we can make sure that We've created something that they believe represents them properly, and then we produce it as a show. So often it's a two- to three-year process of making sure that this feedback loop is in place so that we're really honoring the stories we're hearing.
4: Not only that, it seems like you have the agility to respond to certain things as they pop up. You know, mental health only recently became sort of front and center in what we talk about in Winnipeg and in Canada, but... uh, you said two years ago, but wh- where? how does it start? Where does it go from there? Who pitches the ideas? Like, give me, give me a...
0: Well, what's been interesting is when we started in Winnipeg 15 years ago, it was a lot of us kind of looking at our community and figuring out what was important, what topics were we seeing causing controversy or causing... Tension or lack of understanding. And then in recent years, more and more, we've had groups approach us now that we've been established and we've worked with groups. So, you know, a few years ago, Voices, Manitoba's Youth and Care Network, they came out to see a show we were doing about the recruitment of newcomers into gangs, and their youth said, hey, why don't they do a show about our stories? So they approached us, and that launched our process, which led to Giving Voice, our play about youth in care. So now there's this really great relationship we have with community groups where we are able to kind of respond to issues that they're seeing while also addressing issues that that we're seeing.
4: Part, part of your pitch said that you had two passions of, of um arts and, and acting and stage and drama and also you really wanted to help the community. So tell me about how you came up with the idea to put this those two together and why that became a passion of yours.
0: Absolutely. I think it was... From a very young age, a huge conflict for me. Uh, My mother uh, had founded the Amnesty International Group in Saskatoon, where I grew up. Uh, Advocacy and and helping and human rights were a huge part of my childhood. But I loved telling stories and I loved theatre. So there was many times in my life where I was like, I I don't know what to do. I want to do something impactful. So I decided to pursue theatre. And what I discovered in my BFA and then moving on to do an MFA in directing is by choosing the projects I wanted to create, I could do both things. So when I graduated and explored kind of options in the industry, I realized that forming a company and finding like-minded artists was the best way to be able to do both things. And that's really how Sarah's Body came about.
4: Do you find that people in the arts uh, are typically... Uh, very receptive to sort of helping out in in social causes as well, like those people tend to sort of congregate together, have you found?
0: Absolutely. I think part of it is you can't really be an artist without being in touch with humanity. (laughs) Like you have to understand what motivates people. You have to understand what resonates. You have to be sensitive. And so a lot of artists, I think, are, are very much about their community and about ways that they can use their form to tell stories that will resonate and somehow contribute to us understanding the human experience.
4: Absolutely. I I think you mentioned it earlier, part of it is just sort of starting a conversation and getting a dialogue going and some very, you know, sometimes difficult things to talk about. So um, I I guess I can commend you upon that. We're speaking with Hope McIntyre of Sarasvati Productions. Uh, After the break, we'll talk to her about all about Fast Pitch 2016 and what she needed to do to win the entire competition. continuing our conversation with Hope McIntyre of Sarasvati Productions. So hope, let's talk about fast pitch a little bit. And, mm-hmm. and first, why did you want to get involved with it and how did you get involved?
0: Well, we're lucky to uh, have had a lot of support from the Winnipeg Foundation in the past. So uh, we got the email uh, about fast pitch. And I was intrigued, I think, because we're at a stage where we, we feel we're doing good work. But the community at large and and sectors outside of the arts community don't know about what we're doing. And so it, it was really appealing to me to find a way to spread that message. And that's that's why I thought Fast Pitch would be great, not only because it would give us that network in business communities, but it would help us learn how to talk about what we do in a way that, People could understand because in the arts world we know what we're doing and we understand the impact but most people outside of that sphere don't necessarily
4: yeah even in that case it's sometimes hard to draw the conclusion or draw the um, connection between social change and and watching a play for example you know some on, on the surface it doesn't necessarily look like that's that they coexist together but um, I thought you did a great job at your during your three minute fast pitch <laughs> of of really sort of showing and telling how that how that happens? Um, talk a little bit about some of the impact that you've seen firsthand, and, and either people or stories that you've helped through Sarasvati.
0: Well, I, for me, the the impact always comes with the moments after the shows. So we've had many experiences where audience members or uh, youth, when we're doing school tours, have come up to us and said, "That was my story, and thank you for sharing it." Uh, we've had many occasions where people has, have said, "You know." I'll Nobody understood what I had gone through, and now my peers do because they've seen it through my eyes in the play. And I think that's really important. And then the empowerment uh, of those who've been involved with the process. So many times people will say, no one's ever asked me before about my story, how I ended up here. When we worked with women who were incarcerated, they a lot of them said, no one has ever asked why I ended up in prison. And so it really made a difference for them to feel that their story had value. So we see it on both ends, like as part of the process and the result. Right.
4: And it's pretty heavy topics in some sense, right? But being able to sort of put it on a stage and say, this is it, like this is real. Here we are. It's, it kind of makes it easier for people to talk about and to relate to.
0: And digest. And I think we also, you know, when we work with these communities, most of the times they say you also have to find humor or the hope or the possibility because anyone who's struggled with a mental health issue knows that, you know, you really appreciate the moments of light and and the recovery stories are so important because it's also about saying that that there are ways to to continue to live a happy and fulfilled life. And so we often are are trying to find that balance too.
4: For sure. Um, during the fast pitch process, it was a three, four month process Talk about some of the highlights for you, uh, what you learned about yourself, about your company, about everything.
0: Well, it was interesting because after the finals, when I was talking to my coaches, uh, Bailey and Paul, who were both fabulous, um, Bailey said, you know, my highlight was when we first met at Second Cup for coffee. And we just talked for like an hour and a half about what Sarasvati is, what we do, our stories, what we've created. And, you know, neither of them had any idea about what the company did. And I think that was important for me to realize that uh, we haven't been bragging enough. We haven't been sharing those stories enough. So that was a great moment for me to really reflect back on what we have accomplished. And then along the way, like trying to get that down to three minutes, that was my my biggest challenge because there's so much to talk about. And we've covered so many topics and how do you prioritize and And so it was fun to have their feedback on what resonated to them and what they felt we should keep. And then when they arranged for me to come and kind of do practice pitches uh, for the associates at Aikens Law, that was fabulous. Because, again, when else does an artist get to come and talk about their work In front of a bunch of lawyers right so that was a definite highlight and then the other community groups oh I loved I loved hearing their pitches and seeing the progress from our practice sessions through to the semifinals through the finals I learned so much about these wonderful organizations
4: even the word you chose there we don't brag enough I don't even think you need to consider it bragging just telling your story you know Mm -hmm. it I don't think anyone would constr- misconstrue that as bragging because it's just you're you're telling your story about what you've done and, and what you want to continue to do. So, um, what what's going to be happening with Sarah's body moving forward? Now you won first place. Uh, you got a, a nice lump sum of money. Where where's it going? What's it doing?
0: Well, we're super excited uh, because at the end of May we are doing stage readings of our mental health project. So we're going to be working throughout May with actors, composers, artists, and the, the community we've developed the piece with to get the script on its feet and incorporate some design elements and then showcase that to get feedback from the wider public. And in the that process we're also adapting what we've written for like the wider audience into a youth-based version Mm. Um, and with the the fast pitch funds we're now going to be able to expand our plans to tour this project into schools so we're going to take a version for youth into the high schools and I'm so excited that we can do that to schools that may not be able to afford it otherwise
4: definitely so how would you reflect on the entire experience as a whole, getting to know all these uh, nonprofits and people from the business sector and just sort of the whole experience how how did how did it make you feel
0: fabulous it was I was absolutely amazing. Like there was times where I was like, "What have I gotten into because it was a lot of time commitment. Right. But very worthwhile in terms of the skills that it allowed to develop and getting the word out and the new relationships that we formed with both business and other community organizations. So I think it was it was inspiring and our board I have to say they a lot of them came and it's inspired them I think to tell the story of the company and to be proud of what we're doing in a whole other way. So that was a a benefit I hadn't even really thought about, like how it affected the rest of our organization.
4: So for more information, sarasvati.ca?
0: Yes. Great.
4: Well, thank you very much, Hope McIntyre, for taking the time and congratulations again for winning Fast Pitch Winnipeg. Thank you coming up after the break we will be joined by friend of the show len van roon senior for a charleswood chat but first here's there's no place like home for the holidays by perry como right here on river city 360
10: oh there's no place like home for the holidays because no matter how far away you When you pine for the sunshine of a friendly gaze For the holidays you can't beat home, sweet home I met a man who lives in Tennessee He was heading for Cause no matter how far away you roam, if you want to be happy in a million ways, for the holidays you can't beat home, sweet home. I met a man who lives in Tennessee. He was heading for
5: Pennsylvania
10: and some homemade pumpkin pie. Some pumpkin pie. From Pennsylvania, folks are travelin' down to Dixie's sunny shore. From Atlantic to Pacific. The traffic is terrific Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays Cause no matter how far away you run If you want to be happy in a million ways For the holidays you can't beat home, sweetheart
2: Welcome back to River City 360, and now it's time for a Charleswood Chat with Len Van Roon, Sr. In this installment of a Charleswood Chat, past president of the Charleswood Historical Society Len Van Roon, Sr. talks about life in the early days of Charleswood before it became part of Winnipeg, and also about how the hard work and dedication of his late wife Verna led to the establishment of Canada's largest urban nature park. Here is a Charleswood Chat.
11: Grassroots type thing. And being a small community, it was almost separate from Winnipeg. Well, it was. It was um, Municipality of Charleswood formed in 1913. But they had their own bylaws and their own. And uh, electricity was short, there was no sewer stuff, so it stayed kind of dormant for quite a while. But it became like a community. You know, everybody knew everybody, helped everybody. It wasn't a big, any development of any size. In fact, people used to have cottages out here, you know. <laughs> it just formed naturally because there was no pressure to really build the place up. It was uh, like a small farm community. My wife was such a wonderful supporter. She was a uh, centennial chairman for this area. And uh, she could get things done just new wonders because she had a way with people, you know. Actually, she's the one that uh, established uh, Siniboine Forest because when she was chairman she said because when we changed over to the city of Winnipeg, that land was all just sitting there. Tuxedo didn't do anything with it. There was a big land boom in the 1920s and then it collapsed and that land was all arrears for taxes And uh, she said, oh, that would make a nice buffer and a wonderful place for nature study. I said, do you know what that's worth? That didn't deter her at all. She had a couple of businessmen that said, yes, that is a good idea. And bam, it went through. I met a guy years later, and I was telling him about this. I said, boy, my wife worked on that and then got it through. He said, do I know about it? He said, I worked for three years rounding up all the uh, titles for these things because even though it was a rear for taxes you still had to find who owned it and do the paperwork you know. He said I worked my butt off for three years. (laughs) But it was so successful.
2: And to learn more, you can visit the Charleswood Historical Society every Saturday from 2 to 4 p.m. at 5006 Roblin Boulevard, or you can visit their website at charleswoodhistoricalsociety.ca. Coming up after the break, Mayor of Calgary Nahid Nenshi gave an inspiring lecture back in May that also addresses the year ahead, and we'll have a look back at that. But before we get to that story, we have time for one more song. Here's Andy Williams with It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year, right here on River City 360.
3: It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time, yes, the most wonderful time, oh,
5: the most wonderful time of the year.
2: Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning. So Nolan, it's been a pretty interesting couple of weeks for the city of Winnipeg. We've had quite a few conferences taking place here in the city from Centralia to the Liberal Party of Canada's convention. And now this weekend, the big city mayor's caucus and the Federation of Canadian Municipalities annual conference, which has brought more than 1500 mayors and councillors from all across the country right here to our city. Calgary Mayor Nahid Nenshi was in the city on Tuesday as well to speak as part of the University of Winnipeg's Axworthy Lecture Series, which is a series of lectures that focus on social justice issues. More than 700 people were in the audience to hear Mayor Nenshi, who's in his second term as Mayor of Calgary, and the winner of the World Mayor Prize in 2014, recognizing his accomplishments and service. Considering many of the recent times of emergency that we've had here in Canada lately and how Canadians have responded to them from the flood in Calgary to the Syrian refugee crisis to the wildfires in Fort McMurray, Mayor Nenshi mentioned that the prosperity that Canadians share really begins with what he calls the most Canadian of questions, that is, how can I help?
12: But lately, sometimes, that question is paired with another important sentiment. And that sentiment is, we should be looking after our own. Usually, that's interpreted to mean, look only after those who look like me, or act like me, or with whom I can identify. But I actually love the statement, we should look after our own. I think we should look after our own. You can tell I'm being a bit subversive. Because of course, our own means all the people with whom we share a common humanity. And looking after our own, looking after our own to make sure each of those human beings can live a life of dignity is one of the core elements of what it means to be human.
2: One of the key themes in Mayor Nenshi's lecture was resiliency and how this ties into making Canada a better, stronger place.
12: For Canada to work, we have to embrace financial and environmental resiliency but also that both are based on social resiliency and social resiliency is strengthened through powerful civic engagement and good public discourse.
2: Mayor Nenshi had some really great anecdotes and stories about social resiliency and the community coming together. And one that really stood out to me was about neighbor day. It takes place on the third Saturday of June each year in Calgary. And it's a day of community building and getting to know one another where neighbors might have a barbecue exchange plants, or even hold a block party. And Mayor Nenshi spoke about how it really brought out the community spirit.
12: One of my favorite examples of Neighbour Day was a community association where they asked me to come first thing in the morning and all they had was Tim Horton's coffee, because it's Canada, and a whiteboard, and the whiteboard said on one half of it, I need, and on the other half of it, I can. And neighbours were supposed to write what they could do or what they needed. And a woman had written, I need someone to fix my lawn And so I asked her about it. And she was an older woman, and she said to me, well, my husband always mowed the lawn, but I've lost my husband. And I'm happy to mow the lawn, but the lawn mower is broken. And I don't know how to fix it. And of course, on the other side, someone had written, I can mow your lawn. Those are the things that make a difference in how we live in community.
2: Mayor Nenshi also pointed out a button that has the number three on it. And that button promotes the Three Things for Calgary program, which asked citizens of Calgary to do three things to help make their community a better place. With Canada's sesquicentennial, that's its 150th birthday, coming up in 2017, Mayor Nenshi put out a call to action for all Canadians.
12: My dream is that every Canadian use the opportunity of our nation's 150th birthday to give a gift to the nation and that we as a nation therefore give a gift to the world actually three gifts so my dream for next year is three things for canada and i hope that every canadian will take up this cause i hope all of you will take it up here in winnipeg asking yourself that most canadian of questions how can i help
2: and to bring everything full circle, Mayor Nenci shared one last story from when the City of Calgary welcomed a thousand newcomer families.
12: We had a thousand people there, there was a fair that had different services, anyone who spoke Arabic in, anywhere in the city was there. And Elder Leonard Batstein stood up there with me and did a very special blessing ceremony for these folks. And I looked out in the crowd and there were these two kind of big swarthy guys holding up handwritten signs. And one of them said, thank you, Calgary. And the other one said, thank you, Canada. And I said, you know what? We're looking after our own. It was a wonderful lecture and
2: I was really happy I had the opportunity to attend. If you'd like to learn more about Mayor Nenshi's lecture or about the Axworthy lecture series in general, you can visit uwinnipeg.ca forward slash class and then just search for the Axworthy lecture series. There should be a link on that page. Again, that's uwinnipeg.ca forward slash class
4: good morning and welcome back to river city 360 merry christmas and happy holidays to everyone thank you for spending your morning with us uh, before we get going around this time of year we've been asking winnipeggers about giving back in november at the manitoba philanthropy awards uh, we spoke with jenna Sigurdson, who won the outstanding youth in philanthropy award and she shared her thoughts on what giving means to her
1: Hello, I am Jenna Sigurdsson and I am 15 years old. Giving means giving to your community, giving to people in general, and it's just something nice to do. It's very, something very generous to do with your time and it makes people very happy and I think it's worthwhile. It helps build stronger communities and you can just see how it affects people because they're happier and it makes their day a whole lot better. I give back to my community by volunteering, by raising awareness about Parkinson's, and, of course, by helping other people around me.
4: Thank you, Jenna. And if any of our listeners out there would like to share their thoughts about what giving means to you, we would invite you to give us a call on our listener line. That number is 204-944-9474, extension 360, and you can leave a message 24-7. We would love to hear your thoughts on what giving means to you.
2: And that's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you very much for listening and a big thank you to all of our guests who joined us throughout the past year.
4: If you'd like to hear more views and news from all around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes or subscribe to the podcast. You can visit our website at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City
2: 360. Views and News from Around Winnipeg is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU FM.
4: Again, if you'd like to contact the show, our listener line is always open. You can call 204-944-9474 extension 360 to leave us a comment about the show. You can request a song for next week's show or suggest a topic that you'd like to see covered right here on River City 360. Again, that number is 204 944 9474 extension 360
2: We are also on Twitter and Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at RiverCity360 or on Facebook you can search for RiverCity360 or the Winnipeg Foundations page. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for RiverCity360 And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening and we'll see you next week with part two of our 2016 Year in Review. Have a great Sunday and a great holiday.